All right, at this time, we're going to have our second message for today, brought to us by Pastor Steve Andrews. The message is entitled, Words. Can be that, too. <laughs> uh, I want to say how much I appreciated uh, Mark sharing his journey to citizenship. Um, I was I was born in Caracas, Venezuela, and thankfully my my parents were naturalized citizens, so I not only got a Venezuelan birth certificate, but I also got an American birth certificate at the same time. So I became an automatic citizen without having to go through all the things that citizens have to go through. And I think that it's important to understand the history of this country and the last essentially bastion of freedom, which is slowly being taken away from us, I believe. I, um, I, it's always fascinated me, and then for those of you that are interested, uh, there is a copy of the Declaration of Independence on the wall over there, and the signature of those that were bold enough, 56 men that made their mark on that, and stood up for their, the independence of the United States. They had just made the last state just before signing this, um, and so that they could become and be called the United States of America. So instead of 13 colonies, they actually had 13 full states that they could stand up and say, we are the United States of America. They knew when they signed that that if they did not win, they would probably lose their life. Um, and imagine standing up to a world ruling government, the empire of Britain had been all over the world. It's kind of interesting. And I didn't want to go through, I had some other things that I wanted to talk about, but I, I wanted to just read these words that Abraham Lincoln used because when these men sat down, there was not a total consensus about slavery at that time. There were what they called abolitionists and there were anti-abolitionists. And abolitionists were against slavery and the anti-abolitionists wanted slavery. And of course there were still slavery at that particular time. And so it was contentious. It was not something um, that they wanted to separate at that time. They wanted to keep together. And so when Jefferson and, and, and Adams and those that wrote this, they put in this something very, very profound that Abraham Lincoln also used later. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And that has come down through the ages, and that's what we should all believe, and that's what God wants for us to believe. I, all of us <laughs> have grown up and learned to talk and to think and to, 
to use words. Um, is somebody passing out my mat? Would you pass out? Yeah, everybody getting it? Good, thank Oh, that's good. Fantastic. Um, my, this is kind of a compilation of about three different messages that I've given over the, over the time. And one of the areas that has always uh, fascinated me is how God has given us this ability to communicate, to use words to communicate our feelings, our desires, our inner thoughts, and all of those things. And not only that, to use words to pray to God. He has given us language. He's given us thoughts and feelings and all of those things uh, through words. If you remember Helen Keller, she was born without the ability to hear and she could not see. But through the effort of, of her teacher, she began to hear through a, a special talk on her hand. And she even was able eventually to, to vocalize some of the things that she had learned, even without being able to hear or to see. So God has given us these words, this ability to express ourselves in language. It, it's interesting, and I, the, the reference down at the bottom, positive words, powerful results. Hal Urban wrote this book back in 2004, and he wrote in here, this author penned this anonymously. He says, a careless word may kindle strife. A cruel word may wreck a life. A bitter word may hate instill. A brutal word may smite and kill. On the other hand, a gracious word may smooth the day. A joyous word may light the day. A timely word may lessen stress. And a loving word may heal and bless. And so we have a choice, don't we, in our life, in the words that we use. And we can be guided in our, own, in our words through what God has put in his, in, his, in his Bible. For those who have that handout, I went ahead and put the Proverbs in there, and, and I noticed uh, uh, Brian went ahead and used that as my title up there, and that's good. Because there, there is a lot to be learned in the words that are written in the Proverbs, and they can help us in our own daily life. And, I, and there was one um, that really stood out to me, and that was Proverbs 15, 26. The thoughts of the wicked or an abomination to the Lord. But the words of the pure are pleasant words. When we come before the Lord and we bring those beautiful, wonderful words to Him, and we praise Him, we honor Him, we glorify Him, we are bringing a purity to, even into our own life. And so our choice of words are so very important. From children, from young children, as we begin to learn things, we have to have, what's the word I want to use? Um, certain stop signs, if you, if you will. 
Some of those stop signs we learn early are like no and don't and um, not and neither and none. And yet, in a way, these are very important words that we, we learn. We, we come to, to, to realize how important they seem negative, and yet in a, in, a, in a very important way, they're very positive because they help us to keep from dangerous situations. The word no in the Bible is found 1,316, in 1,316 verses and 1,393 times. So you can see how important God thinks that word is. None is only found 341, in 341 verses 358 times. Not is found 5,528 50, verses 6,597 times. And neither is 804, 802 verses 879 times. So in, in the God's Word, He uses these as stop signs, as words that help us to say, no, let's not do that. Stop. When we have children, we, and they're very little, we don't want them to run into the, or into, the, into the street and get run over, do we? And so we teach them, stop. No, don't do that. We don't want them grabbing for something that's hot on the stove. And so we teach them, no. They may not like it, but as soon as they realize the importance of those words, they come to, to, um, they come to that, they grasp that importance, and they grow, and they, they don't get killed, they don't get hurt, they don't get uh, into, into trouble. So we, we learn the importance of words. In Matthew, the 12th chapter, Jesus confronts the Pharisees, and it's very interesting because they tell him that he, he's casting out demons, by Beelzebub. <laughs> he says, come on now. Wake up over there. If Satan cast out Satan, he has divided, his, uh, uh, divided against himself. How shall then the, his kingdom stand? And that was verse 26 of Matthew 12. And I, I don't want to focus on that, the total because I want to drop down to verse 34. And, and you can read all of these other verses. It was a real good thing that Jesus was talking to them about and about blaspheme the Holy Spirit and all of those things. But he says, O generation of vipers, how can you being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. An evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. But I say to you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. For by your words you shall be judged, and by your words you shall be condemned. How important is our speech? How important are the words that we choose to use when we communicate with one another, and especially when we communicate with God? What are the words that are in our heart? What are the words that are in our mind? When we're thinking, when we're, we're praying or meditating about God, what are those words? How are they fulfilling 
and reaching out in a positive, pure way? Or are they harsh? You know, it seems like in the society that we're living in today, the use of uh, profanity and bad and, and filthy words seems to be so prevalent. And I fear for our children that they're not going to grow up with a more, um, what is the word I want to use, a, uh, a clearer, more perfect mind, a, a, a child's mind, because they're being perverted from the things that are going on in the society. It's hard to even, it's hard to even get away from it. It's hard to pull yourself away from some of the things that are happening in, the, in society, in Hollywood, in sports, and everything that's going on in the world that we live in. It's hard to find people that have clean speech. Now, I work for, <laughs> I like to tell the story, I, I work with a bunch of guys on a drilling rig. And you can understand they don't have, a lot of times they don't have pure speech and they make sure that you understand that <laughs> on a regular basis. And I come, I've come to accept that. I've come to accept that as part of um, my, my work environment. But I don't teach it to my children. I don't teach it to my grandchildren. I want them to have a clean, pure speech that they can live with and that they can uh, articulate things without having to add um, filthy language to it. God teaches us a lot in his word. In Genesis, we can go all the way back to Genesis and find out something about how God looks at things. In, in Genesis, the second chapter, beginning in verse 15, and the Lord God took man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and keep it. Now we go over this a lot, but think about this. The Lord commanded the man saying, now what, what are we talking about? <laughs> he had just created Adam, but he gave him the capability to understand words, to understand meaning. And God told him, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat of it, nor for in the day that you eat thereof you shall surely die. And the Lord God has says, Not good that a man should be alone, and I shall make him help me. So together, Adam and Eve, living in the Garden of Eden, were tempted by, by the serpent, by, by Satan, and they, and they failed, and God put them out. But he commanded them. As little children, you know, they were new. <laughs> they understood, they had, they had understanding, but they were also easily beguiled because they were like little children. In Exodus, the, the 20th chapter, God comes down and gives them more instruction, and he gives his own people instruction, and he gives us instruction. It's important for us to understand this instruction. In verse 3, he says, you shall have no other gods before me. And so that instruction is important. We shall have no other gods before the Lord God. He says then in verse 13, you shall not kill, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, 
and you shall not cover it your neighbor's house, you shall not cover it your neighbor's wife, you shall not, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is your neighbor's. These are all seemingly negative, aren't they? You shall not. No, you're not supposed to do that. And yet, in a sense, if we all were able to, to obey all of these, what a world we would be living in if we didn't covet things that we shouldn't be coveting, if we didn't steal, if we didn't commit adultery and, and, and ruin family life and ruin things, if we didn't kill and murder one another. In the society that we live in, it seems like it's, it's so prevalent. The, the murder rates in so many of these cities, and even in Tulsa, it's, it's kind of getting a little bit disturbing, even in, in our own city, that more and more murders are happening and things are, 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 are difficult to quite understand why it's happening. In 1 Corinthians, the sixth chapter, we see here, Well, let me get over there and I'll, I'll be all ready. 1 Corinthians, the sixth chapter, and, and beginning in verse 9. Know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Know you not. Don't you know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. And here we have some more negatives, only positive. It's interesting, using a negative can actually be a positive. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And he goes on and he says something positive here. And such were some of you, but you are washed, but you are sanctified, but you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of our God. We all have to, had to come out of that world. We all had to change. Sometimes we were of these kind. And sometimes those sins follow us into this justified, sanctified condition, and we have to repent of those. We have to understand the relationship that we have with God and, and what we need to do in our life to overcome that. In the second Peter, the second chapter, Peter gives us some more instruction here. I know it's in here somewhere. 2 Peter, the second chapter, and this is a long chapter, and I, I was going to skip this one, but I, I think I might read a part of it. But there are false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who secretly shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that, brought, that, that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, uh, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. I wonder if our society is 
beginning to, to have that problem. As Mark mentioned in England, they're already, you know, the churches are beginning to empty. Are we getting to the point where, we're, uh, where that scripture says there'll be a famine of the hearing of the word? It won't be going out like it should be, and it won't be affecting lives like it should. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingers not, and their damnation slumbers not. For if God spare not the angels of sin, but cast them down to hell and deliver them into the chains of darkness to be reserved to judgment, spared not the old world, but saved Noah the eighth person, a, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with the overthrow, making them an example to those that afterwards should live ungodly. And delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. And that was also the conduct of those. He was sitting at the gate. He knew what was going on. And he was vexed on a daily basis of what was happening. We are sitting essentially at the gate because we have the ability to turn on and see all the sins of the world. All of the sins of America, don't we? As I said, I'm a... I've always said I'm kind of an avid uh, news guy. My dad uh, loved to, to read the newspaper, and I, now I've got a pad that I look at instead of the paper, you know, that I do. But it's still uh, it, it's beginning to really show how the character, attitudes, and things are changing. And people are using words that they never used before. And they're using conversations that they never used before. And we're also beginning to affect our children like we have never done before. For that righteous man dwelling among them and seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust of the day of judgment to be punished. But chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and desire government, presumptions are they self-willed, they are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. Whereas angels which are greater in power and might bring not railing accusation against them before the Lord. But these as natural brute beasts made to be taken and destroyed speak evil of, of things that they understand not and shall utterly perish in their own corruption, and shall receive the reward of unrighteousness, as they that count in pleasure to riot in the day of time. Spots they are, and blemishes sporting themselves with their own deceivings, while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery, and that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls, a heart they have, exercised with covetous practices, cursed children, which have forsaken the right way and are gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Besor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but was rebuked for his iniquity. The dumb ass speaking with a man's voice forbade the madness of the prophet. These are, the well, these are wells without water, clouds that are carried with tempests, to whom the midst of the darkness reserved forever. 
For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through much wantonness. Those that uh, were clean escape from them who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption, for of whom a man is overcome of the same brought in bondage. And so I'm going to stop right there, but just imagine the things that are written there. How horrible. Even Peter saw this coming long time ago, and we're living in a society in which a lot of this is going on in our very society. When will the judgment of God come down upon this society because of the things that are happening? When will that judgment come? In 1 John, since we're right there, 1 John, the fourth chapter, verse 18. And actually, this is one of the most profound chapters that John wrote. It talks about the love of God and the love that we should have for one another and the love for the brother and the love itself because God is love. Um, it's, it says, God is love in verse 16. And he that dwells in love dwells in God and God in him. And so understanding what love is and how to love and, and how to love one another is an important part of our Christian walk. There is in love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. So here is a, here is a, a wonderful no. There is no fear in love. So if we have perfect love in our hearts, we see beyond the small picture. We see the big picture, don't we? We see what God is doing in our life. We also can see into the future. As we were talking about earlier, the kingdom of God. This is what we look forward to. This will bring our independence, our freedom, will be that kingdom when we come into it. So there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear has torment. And boy, that's sure true. Everybody that went through 9-11 was tormented, because they thought maybe this was it. That it had come. The time here was here. Am I ready? Am I ready? For Christ to return, I, when I saw it coming, I was shaking, and I was upset, not understanding anything. And then I, then I just prayed, and, and God gave me that, that comfort that comes down from him. And I realized, well, let's just find out what's going on before we become, uh, you know, paranoid and not understanding it. And so after that, we, we, we've had a deeper understanding of what happened. And, and so, for a little while, I was tormented. I was fearful. I was tormented. And God's love, his, under, his true understanding of his kingdom and what his plan is, gave me guidance. And so, that, that love cast out that fear. He said, well, we love him because he loved us. The man say, I love God and hates his brother. He's a liar. For he loves not his brother whom he as seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this is the commandment we have from him, that he who loves God 
loves his brother also. So very, very wonderful words from John. In 1 Corinthians, the, the 10th chapter, we are strengthened by the words uh, that are in God's word. And any time that you have a situation in your life in which you are working through a trial or a temptation or something, go to the Word of God. Go to the words that are in God's Bible, this book. In verse 13, there is something that you can turn to every time that you might have a trial or tribulation. There is no temptation, trial or test taking you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful, who is able, who, who will not suffer you to be tempted above you, that you are able, but will that, with that temptation always make, will also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. Have you been through a trial in your life and God has brought you through it? Give God praise for that. Give him the glory for that. Have you had temptations in your life that you've, you've been able to overcome? Give God glory for that. He has helped you to overcome that. Because that's, we're his children. You and I are brothers and sisters in, in Jesus Christ. We're his children. He is working with us to bring us through all of these. So this is a very profoundly wonderful scripture that Paul wrote to help us. There is no temptation taking you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with that temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. Now that might be your death. That's a possibility. You may have to struggle with that until you, you know, you die. But the next thing in for us, is the kingdom of God. In a twinkling of an eye, in a, there, is no under, there is no knowledge of the time that we're in a grave, no matter how long it is. But David has been in that grave for thousands of years, and there's no understanding of that time limit. The next thing he knows, he's in the kingdom. We're in the kingdom at that time. Um, let's go to Isaiah. Understanding God's word in the way that he wrote it is a very important thing. And so I like to read this in, when it comes to, to understanding about God's words. Why do we have a book with all of these different things, all of these different writers, all put together in the way that it's put together? And of course, we understand that it was canonized this way. And, and there's, there probably was other ways that they could have put these books together, but the King James Version is what I've grown up with and understood all my life, and so I'm not going to change that. But in Isaiah, the 28th chapter, Isaiah gives us an understanding about what God is doing and how he, how he is... Um, right, let's see, I'm going to find out where I'm at here first. Whom shall he teach? Verse 9. Knowledge, and whom shall he make to understand doctrine? Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast. So, older, grown up, uh, you're grown up. Whom shall he teach knowledge, and whom shall he make to understand? 
doctrine. Them that are, okay, I just read that. For precept must be up on precept, precept on precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little. For with a stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people, to whom he said, this is the rest wherewith you may cause the weary to rest, and this is the refreshing, yet they would not hear. But the word of the Lord was uh, to them precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little, that they might go and fall backward and be broken and snared and taken. So we, we understand that it's the whole of the word of God, and you put it together line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little and there a little, to understand the doctrine, to come to a deeper understanding of the doctrine. That's how God wanted this book to be written. That's how he wanted it to be learned. And by giving us the Spirit, we come to that, that depth of understanding of his word through that Spirit that guides us through it, line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little and there a little, and we can put it together. That's why we, you know, we go through many scriptures so that we can put together the, the different um, principles that are in God's word. So let's, um, and of course, everybody's familiar with this one, but we might read it again just to, uh, just to put this one into perspective. Uh, 2 Timothy 3.16, all of us understand this, that all scripture, all scripture, of course, when uh, Paul was, was writing this, uh, the scripture was the Old Testament that we have. And so, um, but we understand that the other um, epistles and the things that were written and the, and, the, and the gospel message are a part of scripture today. is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for the instruction, for instruction in righteousness. And here is the point, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished to all good works. When we learn God's way, when we learn God's work, word, we are developing in us good works, righteous works, righteousness. We don't want to be a part of the unrighteous that will not be a part of the kingdom of God. That's what he is teaching us. We understand uh, in 2 Corinthians, the uh, 13th chapter here. I think that's what I've got in there. Let's see if I got that down there right. Yeah. Oh, yeah? Looks like I wrote it wrong. <laughs> Sorry about that. I think it's supposed to be 13, but we'll find out instead of 12. Sometimes my keyboard skills aren't always that great. Yeah, it's supposed to be 13. I think in there it's 12, and um, it should be 13, verse 5. He says, examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. Prove yourselves. Uh, prove your own selves. Know you not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you except you be reprobates. And this is an interesting verses here. The word reprobates means disqualified, unapproved. But I trust that you shall know that we are not reprobates. We are not unqualified. We are not disproved. And then he, 
he, he adds, uh, and now I pray to God that you do no evil, not that we should appear approved, but that you should do uh, that which is honest, though we be as reprobate. Understanding that, the depth of it is that we, we're overcomers. We're working in our, our lives, are constantly um, trying to be growing and overcoming to become like Jesus Christ. And sometimes we're, to God, we probably are unapproved and disqualified if we're sinning. And if we come back and we repent, then God loves us and he brings us back in to the fold. He loves us and he'll never forgive us. He'll never forsake us. He, he will always be there. Christ will always be there. Christ is our advocate, sitting at the right hand of the Father. He is the high priest. They love the children. In fact, that's what this is all about, bringing many, many children into the kingdom. God wants family. He, he created Adam and Eve to have family. Be fruitful and multiply. It's a very basic thing. Family is so basic. And yet we find in a world that wants to destroy family, wants to destroy the life that's in the womb. It's a hard saying. Abortion. Very hard. Come to that point in which a woman would destroy the ne- her generation and the next generation that day. No man can come to God. We understand that. John uh, 6.44, we're very familiar with that. No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me, draw him, and I will raise him up in the last day. Boy, that, that is so comforting. The words of Jesus are so comforting. No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me, draw him and I will raise him up in the last day. Those were um, my no, none, not, neither. And I had a second one which I called lest. 1 Corinthians, the sixth chapter. All right, no, Galatians, the sixth chapter, I'm sorry. Galatians, the sixth chapter. Paul has some very interesting things to say in this chapter. He says, If a man be overcome in a fault, you which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering yourself. Consider yourself. You know, if you're going to counsel somebody, think about it a little bit. Lest you be also tempted. There is, a, there is a caveat when you get involved in, with, with a brother who has some faults and some problems and some uh, trials in their life, and you get deeply involved with them, that you do not fall into that same temptation, to that same trial that that one is going through. You need to be circumspect as to whether you can help that brother. Bear you one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So... We're commanded to help one another. For if a man think of himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he 
have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden or his own load. Remember what Christ said, you are to pick up your cross and to carry it if you're going to follow me. It is a burden to be a Christian, to work this way and to live this way. And it may even get harder to live this way as days go by in a nation that is beginning to turn against um, certain principles, certain Christ, uh, Christianity especially. Let him that is taught in the word communicate to him that teaches in all good things. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. You can't do anything in secret and get away with it. <laughs> That's just the way it is. Uh, David understood that. He, he understood that principle. No matter what I do, no matter where I go, God knows what I'm doing. And so consequently, you have to be circumspect in your own life. And you have to realize that God is always watching you. And your guardian angel, he's always sweating over you. And, oh, man. What's he going to get into trouble today? What's he going to do? Where is he going to go? How many times am I going to have to rescue him so he didn't kill himself? You know, um, I've had several incidents over my life where I probably wouldn't have survived even past being baptized very early in my, my own um, uh, young uh, Christian life. I almost drowned one time and also almost got hit in the head and almost this and that and uh, had uh, different ailments. And So God has been with me. And I know one day I will lay it down and I'll be in, the, you know, I'll have to wait for my call but he has been with me. And he can be with each and every one of us. And we can understand. We see something that's happening in our life that's a positive thing that brought us out of a trial or a tribulation. Give God thanks. Thank you for saving my life. Thank you for bringing me through that temptation. Thank you, Father, for, for being with me. I have, I've taken this burden on, but thank you for helping me. For he that sows to his flesh, verse 8, shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that sows to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. So uh, we're taught, and Paul teaches us, that this is important, that we always um, let the Spirit of God direct our lives, push, move us in the right direction. Let's go to the Ephesians, the second chapter. Right across the page. Oh, that's about ready to go somewhere else. In verses 2 through 10. Where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of this air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our, our conversation or manner of life in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he is loved, even when we were dead in sins, has he quickened us together in Christ. By grace you are saved. And has raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. <laughs> Paul writes like we're already there. <laughs> Paul, Paul's... Uh, uh, 
writing is like, all right, all you have to do is make it. Get to the end. Believe God. Believe Jesus. Believe the things that you need to believe, and you're in the kingdom of God. And he says, he's made us to sit together in heavenly places. We're already sitting with Christ Jesus in that, in that time. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kingdom towards us through Christ Jesus. For by grace you are saved through faith and not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. <laughs> it's Christ that works in us. It's God that's directing us. It's, it's the, the word of God. The words that come off of the page and direct our life. That's what's important. Through the Spirit that is helping us to understand our life and our direction in our life. In Colossians, the second chapter, try to make it easy, just go from one to the next. In Colossians 2, verse 6, he says, As you therefore receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk you in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware lest any man spoil you through, through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. So stick to the Bible, stick to the Word, stick to this way, understand the truth. For in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in Him, which is the head of all principality and power, in whom also you are circumcised with the circumcised made without hands, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who has raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, as he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all your trespasses. Remember, it says in the Bible that he will, will change that heart from a stony heart to one in which he can work in. That's the Christian way of life. God needs to work in our life, needs to change our life, needs to bring us um, to understand His mercy, His love, His concern for us, and this direction in our life. In Hebrews, the second chapter, Hebrews 2, Hebrews is a fantastic book. A lot of understanding in the book of Hebrews. Just four verses here, though. Therefore, we ought to give more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. Boy, that is so true. We can be so overwhelmed in the world that we live in and the things that are going on and become so uh, ingrained and involved in it that we can let the truth of God slip away from us. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast in every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Where at the first was begun to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by them that heard him. God also bearing them witness both with signs and wonders and with different miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will.
And again in Hebrews, the 12th chapter. Wherefore, seeing we are also, verse 1, compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. And of course, that cloud of witnesses is the, the, the faith chapter that was just the... You know, wherefore is a continuation. And probably this should have been part of chapter 11. But the designers of the King James Version decided this was a place to, to break to another chapter. Seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the author and finisher. Uh, the word our is in italics, but it can mean both, because uh, he is the author and finisher of faith. He is the faithful one. He was faithful throughout his life and never sinned. And he went through some horrible, horrible torture at the end. And at the end, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And he had received a horrible beating. And yet, he was faithful to the Father to the end, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and was set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be worried and faint in your minds. You have not yet resisted the blood of striving against sin. Sometimes <laughs> it's, it's like, well, I just, you know, I just give up. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going to do what I want to do. You have not resisted the blood striving against sin. Most of us have not gone that full way in our life, have we? One final scripture here as I finish up, and it's in Colossians, the third chapter. Words are so important for all of us. Um, and choosing our words. Uh, and one again, this is a very good, very good book if you have a chance to get it. Written in 2004, it's interesting that some of the things that he was talking about in this book, about being able to help kids and things, has changed so much because of the school systems and how they allow kids to get away with, with things in the school system and the words that they're allowing them to use in, in school. And he, was a, he tried to get his, his, his students to have a pure language. <laughs> he struggled, especially in later years, to, to do that. And I don't know what it would be like to be a teacher today. I have no idea but I'm sure that it would be a great struggle. So he was very in, into developing positive words in your life, developing ways in which you can bring a positive word to somebody, to help, to guide, to... Uh, uh, and, of course, the Word of God is positive. The kingdom of God, our, our Savior, Jesus Christ, positive. All of those things are are positive. I had to talk while I found my place here. Beginning of verse 9. Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds. 
and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge of the image of him that created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uh, uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond, nor free, but Christ is all in all. Put on, therefore, the elect, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, forgiving one another. If ever any man have a, a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do you. And above all these things, put on charity or love, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Boy, when we come to that point in our life, when the peace of God rules in our hearts, to which also you are called in one body, and be you thankful. Are we thankful for the spirit that God has given us? Are we thankful for the life? I mean, it's different than, than other Christians' lives, isn't it? We keep the Sabbath, we keep holy days, and they keep the, the, the holidays of the world. And so consequently, it's a, it's a different life. Are we thankful for that life? Because God has opened our hearts to see it, opened our minds to see His very direction that He's moving into. His very plan is so important for us to understand. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. I hope we all appreciate the, the message of the, the uh, song messages that come because they are a spiritual message. They're, they're, they come in the, in the form of a song, but they are a spiritual message and they can affect the heart. In fact, sometimes <laughs> the songs are sometimes more effective than even preaching because it can dwell in your heart. You can think about how deeply in the, it, it has affected you. Um, wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving, God, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. And so, words in our life are so important. Realize that God is looking in on each and every one of us on a daily basis. He's, and so we need pure speech, don't we? We need to, to be pure in our hearts. We need to have good words that we can raise to the Father. And we need to clean up our minds if we've had a problem with that in our past. We need to, to, to move our life as Christ walked this earth. We need to be like him in every way. Jesus is our elder brother, our advocate, our high priest, and the one that we follow in our life.